Mark chapter 4 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. Again, it'll be on the screens um, around me. Have you ever just felt, maybe even this morning, like a dead man walking? A dead woman walking. I mean, it doesn't matter uh, what you do, how much coffee you drink. I, I mean, there's times where you just feel like a dead man walking. Well, when we jump into Mark chapter 5, we're going to meet uh, a man, the main character of the, this morning's story, that could be in the Night of the Living Dead. He could be the star of the new uh, zombie apocalypse movie. So last week, uh, we traveled with Jesus as he crossed the Sea of Galilee. Now, before we go any further, um, I do have a picture that I want to show for you. And um, it, it's hard to see um, on this screen. If you want to turn around, it's a little bit bigger on the back screen. But one of the things that you'll see is, and I even brought this pointer and it won't show up, okay? So I'm sorry. But in the very top, you'll see Capernaum. And, and Capernaum is where Jesus did most of his ministry. That's where Jesus spent a huge amount of his time. And so when it says, and again, the Sea of Galilee is more like a lake. It's not huge, all right? Eight miles at its width and about 13, and I cut it off uh, to truly get it, um, 13 miles at its length going from just by Capernaum all the way uh, to the very end, heading down to the Dead Sea. Um, but when it says that he crossed over to the other side, I put a circle there, and, and that's where the Gerasenes um, and, and that mountain range is at. It was a desolate place, and not a lot of people lived there. Now, as you kept going back this way, that is as, as you would head back to the west there, there would be a lot more. Okay, and we're going to talk about the Decapolis. It was a huge area of many cities that would meet there, but to kind of give you an idea of what it was, again, to understand it was not a huge area where Jesus actually did um, a lot of his ministry. So he left Capernaum and he headed across to uh, the Garrison's area, and that is as he traveled across there, this huge storm whips down over the top of Mount Hermon, huge wind, blows down, it comes into this area and just completely, um, you know, whips up this mega storm that we talk about. Jesus then calms the storm, they get to the other side, and that's where we pick up. And this is where sometimes it can be puzzling what God's trying to do, um, but there was a point that we talked about last week, and there was a promise that we talked about last week, and there's always, listen, when God does something, there's always going to be a purpose to it. God had a purpose he needed to get through to those disciples, but not just to the disciples, there was a purpose for him to get to the other side, and this is what we come up with in, in verse one. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, now, let's just admit that this is a rather strange encounter, and we're going to three, see three realms really coming together. We're going to see Satan, the, the demons, uh, we're going to see society, and we're going to have the Savior all coming in to this one story. So let me also point out, in the Bible, when we read about demons, when, when, when the Bible declares that demons possessed this man, it was real. Okay, demonic possession is something that is real. This wasn't just some deranged man or a man that was suffering from some mental illness. This wasn't just uh, an encounter of symbolic 
evil in the world today. The Bible presents demon possession as a sober reality, and we need to make sure that we see that here. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is the disbelief in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialistic or a materialist or magician with the same delight. Now here's the thing. We have to be very careful with this because we can look at them and we go, okay, I have a healthy fear of demons and so I'm just not going to talk about them. I'm not going to mention them because they're, they're scary. And then there's the other side that says, ooh, demons. Ooh, Satan, that's really cool. Let's find more about it. And I was told this in college. Um, I, I, was, took, I took um, a course on the book of Job. Now, Satan is talked about a lot in the book of Job, and that was something that really interested me. And so I went to my professor, I went to uh, Professor Dan Dyke, and I said, hey, um, I, I would like more information. I, I just want to study Satan a little bit more. And he goes, that's good, but you need to focus on God. You need to see the positive realm because too many people can get wrapped up in it. And you go into it with the right attitude, and the next thing you know, you're completely lost in, in what you started out to be something really good. So I see a progression in this passage, and that's what I want us to follow. There are three progression, progressions that I see. Number one is destruction, deliverance, and then deployment. So let's start by looking at the destruction that we see happening here. I want you to notice the destruction that happened to this man and the demons that were inside of him and what was happening that left this man in mega misery. Look at, look at verse 2. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now it was still dark when, when Jesus lands and they pull up on this cemetery and the moment that they, the, the boat docks, immediately this man just comes running out. I mean, this had to be an eerie experience. The disciples have just been scared to death by the power of Jesus. Now it's still dark. Remember, there's monsters that lived, uh, the Leviathan, they believed, lived in the Sea of Galilee. So we have the, the, the monster, the Leviathan. Jesus has calmed the storm, and now all of a sudden they pull up, it's still dark, and here comes this man running at them out of the tombs. I don't like to go outside at night in the dark. I'm scared of the dark. I'll admit it. I, okay, I don't like the dark. How many of you, there are people that go running in cemeteries and they're like, oh, that's peaceful and cool and calm. Any, anybody want to do that? No. Do I believe, I don't believe in ghosts, okay, but I believe in spirits and they might get me, so I'm not going to go there, okay? Like, that. Just be honest, all right? I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. But I'm sure their nerves are completely shot at this point, after this storm that they faced, not only the physical storm, but the storm that was brewing inside of them. So verses 3 through 5 
says that no one could restrain or subdue this man. And, and when we go to Luke chapter 8, verse 29, the parallel to this story, it said that this man didn't have any clothes on, and he was driven by the demon. So on top of all of that, he was self-destructive. He was uncontrollable. He was an outcast. Look at starting verse 3. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. He made himself a dwelling. He was living among the dead. The word for crying here when translated is shrieking. He, he was screaming wildly. He was defiled. He was depraved. He was, listen, this man was desperate. That, that, that's really what we find in this man. And I want to just tell you, Satan loves to distort. Satan loves to destroy, to bring destruction, especially to the image of God. We are the image of God. Satan has one job, one goal, and that is to destroy us. That's what he wants to do. He wants to destroy any faith that we might have. Satan had wrecked him. Society couldn't reform him. His problems couldn't be solved by, by social programs, nor um, could he have any type of human assistance coming and aiding him at all. Nothing could restrain him. His lifestyle was destroying him, and he never stopped crying out. He never stopped cutting himself. He needed to find a way to get this demon out, and he wanted to do anything and everything within his power in short, he was hopeless and helpless. He was isolated. This man was empty. He was trapped. He was tormented. And he needed someone to deliver him. You ever felt that way? You know, I've talked to a lot of people who have never received Christ, and they say, Travis, I feel this emptiness inside of me. And many times we try to fill that void up. Here's the thing. It's not just the non-Christian that needs to fill that void with Jesus. As Christians, we need to continually fill that void with Jesus' love. Even as Christians, we can try to fill our void with so many other things that we have to be so, so careful with. That brings upon the deliverance. Have you ever just walked through uh, yourself or know someone who has just had absolute destructive behavior. I mean, it can be incredibly hard to stop on your own. You, you try to rely on those around you, but sometimes you don't want to tell people what's really going on. I've shared my story with you before, but uh, for some of you that, that don't know, um, several years ago, uh, I had broken my ankle. It was a bad break. Um, I spent five months in a cast or in a walking boot. It was horribly, horribly painful. 
And over the course of that time, I got addicted first to Vicodin. Vicodin made me happy. Like, that, that was just a nice, easy drug. But then I had the surgery, and after the surgery, they put me on, I think it was Dilaudin, or I don't know what it was. It was, made me delirious, okay? Whatever the D word that the drug was, it made me delirious. And my daughter, and there was a cocktail that they, they gave me to try to really take all of the pain away. And <clears throat> I would start a sentence and think that I finished it, but Teresa actually had to record me because I got angry with her. Because I'm like, why didn't you answer me? And she was like, you never, you never finished your sentence. I did answer you. And so she actually had to film me. And after only like three days of, of taking that drug, I went back to the doctor and I said, you need to put me on something else. Because I just, I can't handle it. And she says, I can give you the highest dose of Percocet, but the problem is it's not going to hit your pain. And I said, I have to do something. So she put me on that. And for two months, I was still on the Percocet. I tried really, really hard to break it on my own. And so I would try to stop taking it. And I could go, at the end, I could go all day without taking anything during the day. And the moment I wanted to sleep, I needed that pill. And no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to break this habit on my own. And I thought I was doing a really really good job of hiding it from my wife. I wasn't, like not at all. And finally, um, I, after going through this a really long time, she says, hey, I've, I've made you an appointment and you're gonna go see the neurologist and we're gonna try to get this figured out. And I had people that were praying for me about this and, and I was able to, to kick this habit because I had the help that I needed surrounding me. I had my church family, I had my wife, and I had a doctor that was really, really good, but ultimately I had a God who said, hey, I'm gonna help you through this, and I'm gonna give you a story to tell coming out the other end. And there's so much more that I could, I could share with you about this, but I wanna tell you, when you find yourself in one of those positions, whatever it might be, and there's so many things that we can get addicted to. There's so many things that I, people go, oh, yeah, pills and alcohol, that's horrible. Oh, smoking pot, oh, that's bad. Food. We can get addicted to our food and our sugar and our caffeine. We can get addicted to our TV shows. We can get addicted to, to so many things that take our focus off of Jesus. And we can end up where this man was empty, alone. And it's not easy to get out. And you have to ask for help. And there's so many things. And I will tell you, and I, and I tell people all the time, I'm so glad that I had God's grace in my life that saw me through it. And whenever I, I injure myself, because I do that a lot, doing different things, I'm very, very careful. I injured my back a couple of years ago, and, and I went in, to, and they said, well, we can give you some pain meds, and I said, absolutely not. Well, this is one of the ways that we can manage, and I said, absolutely not. I said, number one, my wife would kill me if I did that. Um, but I, I was very, no, I, I won't do that, because I'm not going to put myself back in that position. You see, I had to be willing to be open and honest with myself and with God. 
You see, by, by working through my past and not around it, God helped heal me. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make, your, the, the path, make straight your paths. You know, the great thing about my Savior is that all he asked me to do was to surrender to him. He gave me his grace. That's truly what he wanted. Let's look and see how this messed up man found deliverance from the destruction beginning in in verse 6. At this, the man just came running right up to Jesus. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. This shows you the power of Jesus on a couple of fronts. Number one, he was looking to be delivered. He wanted this demon out of him. But number two, these demons also understood the power that Jesus was bringing to them as well. And we need to always remember that. The demon in this man becomes greatly distressed because he knows exactly who Jesus is. And we have to remember that. Verse 7 says, And crying out with a loud megas, a mega voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? You see, this demon detects a dangerous opponent in Jesus. And he comes with a booming voice. It's interesting. Always remember this. Satan, demons, fallen angels, they are not atheists. They have a better church attendance record than you do. They know Jesus. They know his power. And we can never, ever forget that. You see, they call him Son Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. It reminds me of James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe, great. Even the demons believe and shudder. It doesn't mean that they accept God's forgiveness and grace and they want to be saved. No, no, no. They believe. They know the power of God. They know who Jesus is. And they shudder. Remember that. You see, this demon dared to arrogantly misuse the name of God. And he says, do not torment me. You see, Jesus recognized that this man was in anguish, not just mentally, not just emotionally. There was a spiritual entanglement that this man needed to be delivered from. Look at verse 8. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now in verse 9, Jesus demands that the demon identify himself. What is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, when we think of this, a legion, not the American legion down the road, legion was made up of 6,000 trained Roman soldiers. That's a lot of Roman soldiers. And a Roman legion was not a force you wanted to mess with. There were a lot of demons that were possessing this man. They had a lot of power. It's why he couldn't be chained It's why no one could help him. The only power that could help him here is Jesus. What happens next is is a little strange. Look at verse 10. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. 
Now, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. You see, the pigs, they didn't want to go into the abyss. Okay, and I don't have time to really break this. Like, that's a whole sermon that we can break down at a later date to really get into all of this point of what was happening here because there's a Jewish standard of the pigs and, and being unclean animals and unclean you know, spirits going into unclean animals and, and jumping off. But at the end of the day, they didn't want to be put into the abyss. They didn't want to go back into the lake of fire just yet. They weren't done. And so Jesus allowed them to do this. Now, there are several things that, that we really need to understand. The tense here is that they repeatedly made the request. When Jesus says, go, they repeatedly asked, please, don't, don't send us into the best. Please, 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 don't put us into the pigs. Please, that they were just coming after Jesus constantly. I want you to also notice this. They had to ask permission of Jesus. Very important. We like to take Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, and we want to take Jesus and the fallen angels and these demons, and we want to put them on the same level, okay? They're not here, all right? The, these demons, Satan, as powerful as they might be, they're created beings. Never forget that. Ultimately, they do not have power over you. God has that power, and we must make sure that we always remember that. Again, go back to Job. Read Job chapter 1 and 2. And Satan wants to show off like, oh, what have you been doing? Oh, I've just been wandering here and there. No, God knew exactly what was happening. He had to show up and give an account just like all of the other angels did. Satan had to give an account to God just like Gabriel, just like Michael, just like all of the other angels. He's a created being. He does not have power over you and you must remember that. Just as a side note, um, this is the first swan dive that ever took place. This was also the first case of deviled ham. And just in case you wanted to know if pigs could fly, they couldn't. So, little side note, just to have a little bit of fun. In verse 14, we see the herdsmen have cows and pigs, and they're there. They fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And we know from Matthew chapter 8, verse 33, that they wanted to see what happened to this man. The people are curious, and so they come to check it out. They, they, they all know about the man that lived among the tombs. They were scared to go there. But now they've, they've heard that something miraculous, something crazy has happened. And so they come from all over to see what's happened. Look at verse 15. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had, who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. They had their minds blown at, at this moment. 
no one, no human was able to heal this man. He went from shrieking and screaming to now sitting there clothed and quiet, calm. You'd think people would be excited. Wow, did you see what happened? I can't believe it. And they want to come to Jesus, right? They have the same reaction that those disciples had when they were in that boat, not just a few hours earlier. The end of verse 15 says it all. And they were afraid. Why would they be afraid? They've seen a man that has been delivered. Again, it's the same reason the disciples wigged out. They knew that they were in the presence of something greater than themselves. While they were afraid of this manic man that had this destructive life, they had gotten used to him. But they couldn't get used to Jesus. They couldn't get used to what was really happening. And this is interesting here. After seeing this man and they came and they marveled over what had happened, they actually tell Jesus, hey, it, it's time for you to go. We can't be around you. Look at verses 16 and 17. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. This may be one of the saddest sentences in all of Scripture. You know, lots of people choose dysfunction over deliverance. They would rather stay in their messed up life because it's what's comfortable to them. A lot of times it's because they're afraid of the change that might take place. Have you ever noticed that some seem eager to learn about Jesus and others just want absolutely nothing to do with him? You see, there's not two sides here. Or there is just two sides here. You either want deliverance or you're going to stay in destruction. You know, a good reminder that I was given this last week, we change when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. We change when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. Are you ready to change? Again, for me, another thing that that happened to me was went through a, a huge weight loss journey. And people were like, oh my goodness, what was your inspiration? My inspiration was, I want to see my kids grow old and get married. And everybody was like, that's so, oh my, wow. That didn't seem really like that life-changing to me. Um, and, And like to really get people to want to change. But to me, I was playing with my son. Um, he, was, he wanted to try out for football. He wanted to be a quarterback. And he said, Dad, will you run some passes and patterns for me? And I ran a couple. And after running a couple, I fell down on the ground and saw stars. And I looked up and I went, all right, Lord, if you're taking me, I'm ready. I wasn't ready. And it was at that moment that I said, things have to change. I went two years without eating Christian chicken. Chick-fil-A, if you don't know what that is. 
that was a hard journey for me. And I didn't know what was it. Listen, I love pizza. I, I love bread. I, I, I loved my pop. I loved all of the sugar that I put inside of my coffee. I, I loved all of those things. I, I loved all of my fast food. I love, listen, I love to eat. And I didn't want to change because I didn't know how to do it. And so I went, you know what, it's time to change. And I made the distinction. And I said, okay, it's time to do this. And I had help behind me and, and, and pushing, but I had to make the change in my life. And it was time because I wanted to grow old with my kids. Now, Jesus could still call me home tomorrow or today, and I'm ready for that. However, as long as I can be here and watch my kids and my grandkids, I'm going to do that. You see, Jesus doesn't force himself on anyone either. When he's invited, he comes. When he's received, he responds. When he's told to go away, he goes. We need to always hold on to that and remember that. Jesus will accept our response of go away. He says, behold, I stand at the door and push my way in. No. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. He's waiting for us to come in or to let him in. He won't push his way in. And that brings us to our last point here. We, we've seen the progression of destruction to deliverance and finally we have deployment. Jesus wants to give us a real life. But too many of us choose partying. Jesus wants to give me long-lasting contentment. But some of us choose cheap, short life, short-lived highs. Jesus wants to give me a loving wife. Jesus wants to give you a loving husband. Yet you choose a one-night stand. Jesus wants to give me true satisfaction, yet we choose this world time and time again. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Are we willing to accept it? I want you to look now at how this delivered man is going to be deployed. The, the crowd wanted Jesus to get away. What's the man want to do? He wants to get in the boat with Jesus. Look at verse 18. As, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. He who feared his arrival now dreaded his departure. It's interesting that Jesus honored their request, but he didn't honor the request of this man to get into the boat. This man had been delivered, and yet he says, no, you need to stay. But Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I want to be your student. I want to learn more. Please let me go, excuse me, with you. And Jesus says, no. And he gives him marching orders. Look at verse 19. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Jesus says, I want you to go to your neighbors. I want you to tell all of those around you 
what I have done for you. So important. Please, please listen to me. No one is saved to sit. No one is saved to just show up to church on Sunday mornings and just sit here in the chairs. To listen at home in your bed or sitting around the coffee table or, or on your couch. No one is called just to sit. We have all been called to put in the work and to share the gospel and to be the hands and feet of Jesus because he's no longer here. We need to stand up and we need to speak for the Savior. We're afraid, right? But, 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 but Travis, I, I don't know enough. And I, I might be asked that hard question. And, and, and I don't know all of the answers. Neither do I. But you know what I do? I ask for help. And when someone asks me a hard question, I'll say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that. But I'll get back to you with an answer. And I have, I have a group of, of pastor friends that, that, that we pour into one another and we ask each other questions and we're like, hey, never had this come up. Can, hey, can you help me with this? Have you ever had someone ask this question in your church? I've never had that happen. Wow, that's a new one for me. I've been doing ministry for 25 years, never had that one asked. <laughs> me either. But we're going to find the answer and we're going to work it out. And you can do the same thing. You know what? I don't have the answer, but I'm going to talk to my pastor. I'm going to talk to my youth pastor. I'm going to talk to one of the elders at church. We'll help find the answers. Listen, you'll never have all the answers. But I want to go back to John chapter 9, verse 20, 25. That there's a man who's being grilled. Jesus, he, th this guy has been blind since birth. And, and Jesus heals him and, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they bring him in and they start questioning him. This is what we read. I have no clue who this man is. I don't know where he came from. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. That's the only thing I know. And his name's Jesus. That's all you have to do is share your story. Jesus tells us exactly what to say. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. That This man went from destruction to deliverance and now he is fully deployed. And look, look at verse 20. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled when God saves us we must share it with others that is how the message is spread this is what happens to the Samaritan woman and this is what we read John chapter 4 verse 29 come see a man who told me all that I had ever did can he be the Christ like that's all she says come and see that, that, that's exactly what Philip says. That's exactly what Andrew says. We go back. That's how Peter comes to know Jesus. That's how others come to know Jesus. Hey, come and see. We, we need to get that excited. When we're saved, all we have to do is say, hey, come and see. Share this with your friends. Share Holy Week. Hey, I, I don't know, but come and see. C come, and, come and hear the word. The word for proclaim is translated as publish. The Decapolis was a federation of 10 Greek cities that all came together. 
we read that everyone marveled, which means that they were struck in astonishment at what had taken place. So let's put all of this into practice. Let's, let's bring all of it together. How, how do we do this? How do we take what we've learned from this man and share it with others? The first one, we can take this outline and we can use it for ourselves. Start with talking about what your life was like before Christ. Just start there. Share your testimony. And some of you are like, "What, well, Travis, I really don't have a testimony. I was raised in the church. I went to church every Sunday, and, and, and my parents, my grandparents, they, they just made me go, and so I went, and, and I went to youth group, and, and I was at a CIY, and, and all of a sudden I felt the Lord call on my life, and, and nothing really, I didn't have one of those aha moments where all of a sudden like everything just changed in my life. I hear people telling me stories that they were sitting in a bar, and they were about to take a drink, and then all of a sudden, as they were getting ready to take that drink, they were hit by the Spirit, and they never drank again. Why do I have that story? I was driving down the road, and, and all of a sudden, my, my car, my, all of a sudden, it, it just went out of, of, of orbit, and, and I said, Jesus, take the wheel. I don't have that story. You have a story. God has done something in your life. Even if it's just keeping you steady, that's what you need. That's how you can share. Celebrate. Listen, tell them what it was like before Christ. Let them know how you got saved. And in the end, celebrate how your life has truly changed. Start with where you are. Tell them what's in the future. Number two, God can accomplish much through one person wholly devoted to him. We don't know much about this man after he leaves. We're told that he goes to the Decapolis. But what we do know is that he went and he shared the gospel. He went and shared his story of who Jesus is. When Jesus went back to this same area, there were all kinds of people that came to want to know more about Jesus. Do you know what that means? It means one man made a difference. You are one person that can make a difference for the kingdom. That's so important that we can never, ever forget that. You may share your story over and over and over again, and you may be rejected over and over and over again, but then comes that one month, and you're ready to give up, right? You're like, oh, I've shared it so much, it's not working, I'm done. And then all of a sudden, one person says, hey, I've watched how your life is different from everyone else at the workplace. What do you have? How are you able to keep your sanity in the midst of everything that's happening? Hey, let me tell you, it's a guy named Jesus. I'm not perfect, but he has loved me. Here's an action step for us. I want you to intentionally spend time with lost people. One soul is worth far more than any possession. Remember that. And here's your action step. I, I want you, over the next couple of weeks, I want you to intentionally ask people 
who have not been to Stafford County Christian Church to attend for Palm Sunday and for Easter Sunday. Now's your opportunity to start sharing the gospel message. Invite them to watch online with us. Invite them to come and just say, come and see. That's just one thing that you can do. And here's it. And this, this is really where I want us to end and fully understand. Please, 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 don't play around with sin. Do not play around with sin. Satan does his most sinister work in the secret. He disguises himself, we're told in 2 Corinthians, as an angel of the light. Listen, just because something doesn't look or, or feel like it's bad, it doesn't mean that it's good. And it doesn't mean that it's God-honoring, and we need to remember that. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. This man had lost everything. And we're not for sure, and we're not told how he made it into the position that he was in. But something happened that he messed around too much, and this man became possessed by this legion of demons. Don't play around with sin because it can and will destroy you. Sin will always take you further than you plan to go. It will keep you longer than you were ever planning to stay, and it will cost you more than you were ever willing to pay. Today is your day of deliverance. No matter where you find yourself right now, if you have never been saved, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, today can be the day that deliverance comes to you for the first time ever. You come to the back and you can meet with myself or one of the elders. We will walk you through it of what it looks like. Maybe you're a Christian, but you've, you've been playing around with sin too much. And it's got you into a position that you don't know where else to turn. We're here for you. To help you. Maybe you just need prayer in your life. We're here for you. To help you through all of that. We've been called to cry out to his mercy. No matter where we find ourselves. We're going to take communion now. And there's communion on the sides here or in the back. You can, you can get that. Um, I'm going to pray for us. And then you can take that and then uh, the band's going to come up and we're going to sing one final song. If there's a decision that you need to make, I want you to put it before the foot of the cross. I want you to ask for, for help. Ask for the Lord's help in your life. Ask for help from someone who's around you. And, and listen, there, there are many things that we deal with. And again, if there's something that we're dealing with or that you're dealing with, and, and I may not be able to help you, point you in the right direction to get you the help that you need. Let's pray. Almighty Father, I thank you for the deliverance that you have given us. Lord, we have all been destroyed by sin. The destructive power of sin 
can take hold of our lives way too easily. But Father, we can have that deliverance through your Son, Jesus Christ. And I thank you for sending him to the cross. I thank you for giving us the opportunity to know him as our Savior. The fact that he doesn't just bully his way in, push his way in, Lord, he waits for us to come to him. And I thank you for that. And Father, as we prepare to take communion, as we take these emblems, we remember the bread as, as the ultimate sacrifice that you lived a human life. We take the, the juice remembering that you are fully God and you paid the price with your blood for all of our sins. Lord, thank you for being our Savior. We pray all of this in your Son's most holy and precious name. Amen.